0: You're listening to the Dulceberg Geek Podcast. I'm Steven Seifert. This is Aaron O'Rourke. Good morning, Aaron. What's going on?
1: Good morning.
0: How that's are you? It, man.
1: Yeah, that's pretty much it. It's pouring here on Signal Mountain. Uh, so it, I'm in the quietest room of my of the house, which is the kitchen. Yeah. So I apologize if, there's, if you can hear my refrigerator and the rain and all that stuff. I'm usually... Usually when you hear my voice, I'm over at Dan's and Dan is not with us today.
0: He's that's right. now he has not died. We're he has not saying not died.
1: that. No, he's <laughs> DPNing.
0: Yeah. That's like another form of afterlife. Right? <laughs> no, but he's getting the DPN out today. So it's just you. It's just me. It's yep. just you and me. And it's the rain. I've got the rain too. I, I love it. I don't, I don't mind rain on a recording. I mean Ooh. that all started with uh, Riders on the Storm, of course.
1: Really, they were th- that was the first.
0: I don't know about that, but huh. for me, it was you know. I guess uh, you know the first time I heard Rain in a recording was um, Listen to the rhythm of the fallen rain. Oh, nice. That little tune. You know
1: that one? Uh, oh yeah, very That's much. That's a good one. Yeah, I can't sing it.
0: So uh- I've been listening to. Um, you know, one thing I can't do is hear my voice right now. Ugh, I hate when that happens. When you, I can't you, hear you.
1: myself, I talk really loud. Trust me, you just sang that really well.
0: Oh, I'm such a good singer. I'm a fine yeah, singer. A singer. Here's the deal this morning I've been listening to, a, well, watching a documentary on indie rock. Yeah? Yeah, from, you know, like when it originally
1: happened or whatever. Yeah. So, what have you learned? anything interesting worth sharing
0: yeah what's really interesting is the guy that was uh there was i forget the name of the record label but it was like the first really big indie record label that was successful and got records into the stores in england Hmm. um but they the the graphic artist that did a lot of the album covers was just talking about the guy who ran the record label and he was just saying you know it was really just an art project. The whole company was like an art project,
1: huh.
0: you know. That's and actually- they interviewed the guy running the place, and he was just talking about. I. It sounded like he was really trying to create. It reminded me of somebody making like a, a performance art hmm. package out of all kinds of stuff. But it's got. If you don't know anything about uh, this, basically they were a little bit in rebellion and they talked about a resurgence of authentic music a revival of authentic music now i'm sure you could make fun of it and say that it was you know more rubbish but i'm in the mood today to be rebellious on the podcast that's basically what's going on
1: so uh you're okay with putting <laughs> a uh, an explicit uh warning on the oh cool mug you're sporting the the british uh <laughs> Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Oh, what is I'm in, that?
0: I mean, I got this in England.
1: Nice. Oh, you, you know
0: what's funny? I got a call from somebody that thought that, you know, maybe I had been slighted. Oh, really? Because I, yeah. I, they said the podcast where I was saying I was disappointed I wasn't going to England. Uh-huh. They, they were saying it sounded as if I had been intentionally, you know, not included on that trip. And I was trying to tell him, Hey, um, I knew I wasn't going a long time ago. You know, I just am disappointed, but just for the record, nobody has threatened me or blackmailed me into not going.
1: That's good. I was actually, I was actually trying to go for, I was originally contacted, I think before, uh, I think before you and Dan went and I couldn't make it work. Um, and, uh, and so I'm excited to finally be going over. Oh, but... I think it's good. And
0: you're one of the names I gave. You know? well, well, thank you. So, <laughs> but the funny thing is after that podcast aired, I also got contact by someone in England saying, hey, we could <laughs> we get you back over here. Nice. So, I mean, shoot, I think it all worked That's out. That's good. Yeah. Well, I have some. To- yes, go ahead. I'm,
1: I'm trying to, like I said, I'm trying to make it up to Scotland while I'm over there. Um, I'm having a really hard time narrow, narrowing down what distilleries I want to go see. Um, but yeah, good problems to have, I suppose. Did, is it true that... Um, oh, I don't have a cough button.
0: Hang on. <coughs> is it true that... Lef- how do you say Lafroig? Lafroig. Okay. Is That's it true they're
1: it. owned by Jim Beam? That doesn't surprise me. Um. Yeah, there, there's really there. I mean, I think there's only a a pretty small handful of uh, these parent companies. Um, Suntory. Uh, what's the big one? I'm totally drawing a bl- a blank. They own um, Talisker, Lagavulin. They're they're like a giant in the whiskey world, and I can't believe I'm drawing a blank on them. But anytime you see a bottle with the uh, uh, the Distillers Editions um it's them and they it's funny in the whiskey world they're some of the hardcore enthusiasts kind of look down on them as being like super establishment because they chill filter and add coloring to the whiskey and all that stuff which people hate i don't really care if it tastes good but that's what i'm saying yeah this could be the whiskey geek podcast, really quick. Okay, but... <laughs> listen. If you're
0: listening right now and you are you are opposed to alcohol, seriously, just give me another 120 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> I think I can think I can be off of it because this last right. week I got to do some gentle, conservative tasting of the finest bourbon I've ever been around. Really, and I'm pretty sure that it was. I'm pretty sure it was absolutely the best I've ever had in my, in my mouth. It was crazy. I wish you had been there because this is very different, you know, very different. Hmm. Because you don't like bourbon, uh, really? I like
1: some bourbon. Um, well, you need to come with but... me uh, sometime. <laughs> that's... Yeah, yeah, more about yeah. Scotch, but, um, but that's this is interesting i know for me i'm i'm in sort of the off season right now and so all my hobbies are kind of going in or just all the stuff that i don't think uh my audience would generally like is everything that's what i'm, I'm interested in right now full force. Uh, what's funny that's though I'm, I'm finding that there's actually I'm, I'm sharing this on patreon um uh i've been really into scottish lute music
0: that's so crazy! You don't yeah. even know the half of it. But yeah. keep going.
1: Segwaying straight from Scotch whiskey into uh, into Scottish lute music. Um, actually, what happened was uh, um, our friends uh, Mac and Melanie. I'm sure you know. yeah yeah um, they came here for a lesson and they I saw them for a couple of days and one of the pieces that they brought that they played and wanted some feedback on was this old Scottish lute piece and uh they got this arrange this particular arrangement with the variations from a guy i think his name was Alan Alexander and he's transcribed a bunch of this scottish lute music but the melody to me was just so so simple and captivating that i wanted more of that in my life yeah so now i've ordered a bunch of uh of these lute manuscripts and they're in uh french loot tablature have you ever seen that stuff yeah is that with the letters yeah it's crazy so the tablature. it's kind of a neat idea well yeah it's i feel like there's a bigger room for human error at least for me anyway um uh so check this out for those of you listening if you've if you haven't run into this kind of tablature that we're talking about it's kind of similar in that uh You have the lines um, for each string, Instead instead of just a staff, but instead of numbers to indicate what fret you're supposed to play, you see letters instead, and those letters are not the note you're supposed to play on the string. A equals open, B equals first fret, C equals second fret, and so on. It's crazy. Now does
0: it does it designate octaves like C one, C two or something like that?
1: Uh not that I've seen in the tablature. They're probably huh? not playing up the neck that far, maybe. I mean the highest fret I've run into so far is F in the tablature. Which is what number? Well now I have to think. Let's <laughs> <I> see. <always laughs> A, B, C, D, E, F. That is the fifth fret. There goes my phone.
0: I'm going to turn it off. This is, I'm feeling rebellious today. I want to really? tell you just a few points on this. Okay. And then we got to get back to Scottish because it's a strange coincidence that you're doing Scottish. Um, first of all, this rule about you can't have your ringer on. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it. <laughs> tired of it. You know? And I'll tell you, I got my mom where I got to always, you know, I got to, I got to keep in touch with my mom. Yeah. Um, she has been health wise by the way she's doing great like like usually people like how's she doing i'm like well she's a little better she's a little worse but she's doing fantastic but anyway if that phone rings i need to know it so i've started telling all my workshops hey you leave your ringers on (laughs) i mean that sounds crazy but part of me is just sick and tired of worrying about ringers now i know Hmm. this isn't a reasonable uh, reaction to the situation, but I'm keeping my ringer on. I said, if you have any, uh, if you have anybody at home, you're keeping an eye on, keep your ringer on. You know? Hmm.
1: I don't know. Okay. I, I feel like I know. It's, uh, I know
0: you're not going to be able to say anything that's not smart about this.
1: No, no, no. It's just, it's just totally personal. Um, in the same way that we've talked about um, noodling in class and people who, will play while you're trying to talk and we would both be that person we are that person right. that's um, right but it's still it's still a distraction when you're trying to teach and I feel the same way whenever a ringer goes off
0: it is a distraction but here's the thing if I tell people to keep their ringers on I think they're most likely going to turn their ringers off
1: oh interesting
0: no huh. that's not why I'm doing it but um I don't know I'm, I'm told you, I'm being rebellious. Here's another thing uh, the <laughs> podcast has a uh, an intro song. Yep. I, I don't feel beholden to using that song or any song at the beginning or end of the podcast. What do I care? <laughs> I mean, I'm going to sound like I'm going crazy, but I just watched this documentary this morning on authentic music. Mm-hmm. There's another thing I don't care about sometimes Hammer Dulcimer oh hammer dulcimer now here's the truth now listen here's the truth yeah it was it was my first interest when it came to dulcimer Uh i think it's cool many of my friends play hammer dulcimer i love playing with them there's all kinds of things i like about it but just today i'm celebrating the fact that you and i can speak about mountain dulcimer you know we don't need to think about hammer dulcimers or you know so that's another, and I don't think that's bad. I mean, hammer people, I'm sure you're turning off the podcast right now, but um, I'm sure that hammered people would love it if Dan had a hammer
1: guy on here and they just mm-hmm. talk
0: hammer. Well, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that.
1: Yeah. I've I've actually been kind of lusting after a hammered dulcimer um, yeah, in my well, life. Well, why don't you save here.
0: that for the next
1: podcast? Oh, I definitely will. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so back to Scott. Um, back to Scottish music yeah so this I have a friend in Asheville North Carolina Bruce um, Bruce is brilliant he's a really fine musician he got bit by and he used to like he used to play uh, banjo with Bill Monroe back in the day and he's done all Whoa. kinds of all kinds of archival work and um, he eventually transitioned to finger-style guitar. Uh, like, you know, the I guess you would call it like acoustic blues stuff. But um, after Black Mountain, I stopped by his place and he's t- t- totally into Scottish music. He's been there for the last year, at least. And he's really been studying it. And he said, what's interesting is uh, the Scottish really did have an interest in notating music and writing about Mm. music way back earlier than what you find in (laughs) Ireland in some cases so he's pointed me to some of these amazing Scottish archives online where you can just find all these collections scanned and it's and, and he's got he's recommended I order a couple books on this and I probably ought to tell you what those are yeah you should Um, anyway, so I, so I guess it was, I don't know if it was a week ago. I just got excited about it. I texted him before I heard back from him. You posted a Scottish (laughs) loot piece. Yeah. Right.
1: Yeah. Was that last week? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So I'm
0: listening to that thing and I'm thinking, this is funny that the two of us are both onto this at the same time, you know?
1: Yeah. It's also really funny. I, I really want to meet Bruce because I think last time you, you told me about Bruce, he was doing like like Mississippi John Hurt stuff and open tunings, which was exactly what I was working on at the well, time. Well, that's
0: the style he was doing at that time, okay. but he was playing Scottish tunes. Oh, okay. I mean, that's, that's, cool. that's strange, right? Yeah. Uh, let me see. He's got these two books here. Oh, uh, here it is. So, number one, uh, David Johnson, Music and Society in Lowland, Scotland in the 18th Century, 1972 Oxford Press. Nice. Uh, um, What does he say here? Very specific, as the title implies, and shows social patterns that influence the music. And then a second book, he said, um, is it's George Emerson. Ranton Pipe and trembling String, History of Scottish Dance Music, 1988, Goldhouse. Very thorough music analysis and info about players and publishers. And apparently, there were a lot of publishers. Now, the reason this was all interesting to me last week is I've always got this running theory that a lot of our stuff is not Irish music. So if you look at the Ulster area of ireland the northern ireland it was scottish people living in ireland Hmm. and i've just and then when you look at the what we call the scotch irish or the the scottish (laughs) irish when we have that group of people coming over to america i'd like to learn more about that because it sounds like it wasn't a bunch of irish people playing fiddle tunes it was people from that northern ireland area who were mostly scottish but i don't know the details of this do you know stuff about it?
1: i really don't Um, okay
0: well that's why these two books might be helpful yeah i've been
1: as i as i go through these manuscripts i've been trying to uh uh to look up some fascinating history about uh the manuscripts or the pieces specifically um and uh and that that led me to post on patreon uh, An unfortunately titled uh, "I Long for Thy Virginity," not thinking about <laughs> how that would come through in everyone's inbox. As um, being totally creepy, but it's a really I I think so. I didn't think about it until I saw a picture of uh, the subject in the the email. It was part of a medley of tunes. It only grabbed the title of the first track though, because <laughs> uh, it was too long. So it just said. So like, Aaron O'Rourke. Everybody got a private note. (laughs) Yeah, every. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It just said Aaron O'Rourke posted, "I long for thy virginity."
0: I can see where you didn't mean anything awkward by that.
1: Well, Well, yeah, it was just that's the name of the song.
0: Well, he but, was clearly singing or playing about his uh s- bride to be. Well,
1: supposedly uh In the uh the book where I originally stumbled onto the melody, um uh Ancient Scottish Melodies, the end of that book has a uh, a bunch of transcriptions and standard notation um from one of the Scottish lute manuscripts and uh you see a title for most of the tunes that uh that one was the first one i saw that didn't have a title and i read somewhere else uh that uh he was trying to suppress certain titles that might offend his readers oh, sensibilities yes. yeah,
0: yeah yeah
1: yeah
0: yeah well maybe he reworded that it's much more polite than the original version possibly <laughs> <laughs> but here's the thing. Uh, we're going to give you the benefit of the doubt on that one. Aaron <laughs> I extend grace and mercy to you that's, this morning. That's good. So, so yeah, here's some more of the rebellious things, you know, like we're not supposed to talk about certain things on the podcast and there's no, there's not like a, a rule. I, you know, it's just like a, I guess it's something we all just sense inside. And, and there's this thing like we better talk about dulcimer enough, Oof. you know? We, we want to be entertaining. Like, what if we quit worrying about being entertaining? Uh, what if, I mean, my original idea with the podcast was I want to just sit and talk. And then I, yeah. I've i said that to some listeners and they're like, well, then you might lose some listeners. I'm like, not the end of the world, <laughs> you know, right? Right. Like, would, would you rather an honest kiss or a dishonest? Uh, I'm sorry. Would you rather an honest slap or a dishonest kiss, you know? but i i like um of course i love dulcimer but like you said earlier you're right now it i I mean i do the same thing every december roughly yeah i explore stuff that i haven't been doing all year Mm -hmm. because we don't get a lot of festivals and stuff
1: right now yeah i'm yeah i've decided it would be kind of fun to uh every year dedicate some time to try and learn a new skill or a new instrument Um mm-hmm. I love that yeah I'm I'm trying to learn French right now doing pretty bad
0: pourquoi
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even going to uh... try
0: well I I had two years of French I don't remember much but really? I really you, you know there was a yeah I didn't know that I, I'm not good Je parle français un peu. You know, I don't remember much. Yeah. Um, But if you look at web statistics, especially like 12 years ago, 10 years ago, maybe, um, I used to get lots of visitors from France. Really? Or my To my Dalsimer site. And they've got that, you know, they had a, the um, the Epinet over there. Yeah. Epinet, I don't know how to say it, that was popular. And then they had a folk revival shortly after our folk revival, like 10 years later, I think. Really? And one of their guys who was kind of like one of their Pete Seegers, his chosen instrument was a dulcimer, but he didn't play the Epinet. He played a mountain dulcimer. Really? You know, an American. So... I've thought, you know, two years of French web traffic. Why aren't we visiting
1: France? I would love to. I'm talking about right. trying to hop over uh, to France while I'm while I'm in the UK. In May, we'll see. See, that's the kind of rebellion I'm talking about.
0: Let's just go to France.
1: That's that's rebellious.
0: Yeah, because you're not supposed to go to France. (laughs) That's your way of sticking it to the man? No, 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 no. I'm saying uh, typically I wouldn't go somewhere that doesn't have a strong dulcimer presence. But what if it doesn't? What if it's like four people? It might be worth it. But of course, money's the issue, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, very much so. So we've got to figure that out.
0: So, what instrument are you thinking of playing around with? The
1: hammer dulcimer? I don't know. I mean, I'm already kind of learning hammer dulcimer already. Uh, but That's right. It, we'll you talk ca- about yeah. that more in the future. Um, okay. I ordered a ukulele. There you go. Yeah. And here's the truth. What's the mic? Here's the truth. Okay. This is um. <laughs> at, at risk of pick uh, at risk of pissing people off. I um or offending someone. I don't. I really don't mean to, but I was admittedly, I was kind of anti ukulele for a little while. That, but you want, but you had some early on.
0: Like I, you had a, you had a at least one nice tenor. I did.
1: Oh yeah, you're right. I oh, think I. Oh my goodness. I think I actually won that ukulele in a. Uh, that was a nice one, wasn't it? It was. Yeah, I should not have sold it. Um, I sold it for cheap too <laughs> I know I was going to buy it from
0: me at the time and you had already sold it to somebody
1: I think I sold it to Terry Lewis that's right yeah I wonder if he'll sell it back to me <laughs> so now so what? why were you against the uke I wasn't totally against the uke I don't know I just uh, not really for for any for any real reason I just hadn't Oh God, yeah, this is this is tough. Um, but hell, for the sake of being honest, there's there's some really cool music being played on uke. My favorite way I've I've heard the uke used is with a really good singer. A That's lot of, right. A lot of the instrumental stuff doesn't really make me too excited. Um, there's just a
0: little bit that does for me. Yeah. But...
1: There's a yeah. Same. Yeah. There's a there's a little bit that does a lot of what I see on social media. Um, I don't know it's it's not really ukulele y- 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 doesn't have the monopoly on this by any means. I feel the same way with plenty of other instruments, dulcimer included. When I see something that just kind of strikes me as gimmicky, um, I just kind of have this gut reaction. Uh, I just don't like it. And that's a lot of what I was exposed to on ukulele. Um, so yeah, I guess I guess that's pretty much the reason. But I think well, they're, like, they're I... actually they are a really cool soft texture, and I think they're actually kind of fun. It took me a while to come around to it, but that's just the music that I'm gravitating. I'm not saying there's anything morally wrong with any style of music or any combination of. And notes you're or kind any of techniques. drawn to.
0: You're drawn to it lately, you're saying.
1: Yeah, I am. I'm drawn I'm I'm kind of on hyperdrive with being drawn to a lot of stuff though right now. Oh, that's a form of escapism. Really? For me usually. I don't know. I think it's because for the first time I feel like I'm kind of actively being healthy and uh, Me too, you're right. Yeah, I have
0: optimism.
1: Yeah, and so suddenly I it's like I feel like my brain is sort of opening to all this other stuff that i can do because i'm not tired all the time
0: you're right and i'll tell you we'll get back to (laughs) i'm taking this um what am i taking vitamins and probiotics it might be a waste of time and money okay let's let's get off the diet back to you come on come on i've I've lost like 19 pounds That's amazing. I, mine's slowed down. I'm, I'm, I'm hanging at 25 right now. That's good, dude. But you know, losing weight is the least of why I'm doing this. Yeah. And and I have learned that, you know, nobody wants to hear somebody talk about what they've been eating lately, but I'm sleeping better. I'm, 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 when I'm awake, I'm better. I'm more focused. I have more energy and it's creating a subtle optimism that's different than the regular optimism i carry it's uh i'm excited about some things
1: it's like uh, i'm optimistic i don't know for me this is 100 relevant to playing the mountain dulcimer um because this is this is what's happened um with just ridiculous and and even mildly upsetting predictability um in the past it was like I could be you know kind of active, live kind of healthy while at home. And then as soon as I hit the road for a gig, all of that just went downhill and I that's would right. gain weight. And then whenever I had a bunch of these gigs back to back, it was like I'd gain weight. Well, one of the things about the dulcimer, that's one of the downsides anyway, is that as you gain and lose weight, uh, your your physical relationship to the instrument changes yeah you have
0: to you have to relearn it or redevelop subtle things it's like i I feel
1: especially in my right hand technique like where it is relevant to how close it is to my core (laughs) to to my center if my stomach is protruding a bit then my right hand technique is going to be different losing weight i feel like i've had to adjust but it feels better now um i also feel like uh i mean when i went to black mountain uh i brought i brought kettlebells with me and i made sure that i was i stayed on that routine
0: that's great i need to get on that i know we've talked about it
1: it's yeah it's so so good but looking ahead into next year at at a lot of these week-long camps especially the five period ones um most of the time we teach for four or there's, there's a number of camps where there's time blocked out for classes and we have a little bit of time off in the right, day. Right. And I've been a little bit more vocal about that specifying exactly what period I would like to have off. Cause I'm trying oh, to, yeah. I'm trying to stay as healthy as I can be.
0: Well, for me, the, um, the first real thing I noticed that's pretty impressive to me I had to load and unload a bunch of stuff this last week. I had dulcimers, many dulcimers, lots of dulcimers. Um, I actually had a full table of books, which that's a good sign of mental health. Yeah. I had th- thumb drives, um, but I also brought you know the, the computer, the printer. And then my mom had made a bunch of dulcimer ornaments and jewelry, so I had all that stuff with me. So where I set the product out was up... A good bit of stairs from the street level. So, you you know, you leave the car, you go up a hill, then you go up all these stairs. I didn't get out of breath at all, and I've not been exercising at all. So, the last few years, I would be a little bit out of breath. So, do you think losing 25 pounds makes it where you're not out of breath all of a sudden? I
1: mean, it wouldn't surprise me. I have but, uh... not exercised at all. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, if you haven't been exercising, building strength, I mean, that's at least less weight that you're carrying around. If, uh, if you're just shedding fat, do you have a 25 pound kettlebell? I have, um, I do most of my workout with a 35 pound kettlebell. I do one circuit with a 44 pound, which I just got. Um, and I can't do all three, but then I also do some, where I'm just going for uh, for volume, and I use a 20 pound kettlebell. Okay, there's so a,
0: what's a 20 pound bell like in your hand?
1: Um, well, this is uh, since we're musicians and we really depend <laughs> on our hands. This was one of the things that always concerned me about kettlebells. And there's there's some exercises I admittedly won't do because um, you can do them with good technique. Um, and they won't hurt your wrist so well. I feel like I don't really have the luxury of having to work out good technique uh, with That's some of these things. Right. Good for you. So uh, like... I won't. I won't do heavy weight with uh, snatches where you you know, lift the kettlebell up from the ground, swing it over your head, and if you do this oh, without yeah. any control, the bell comes around and smacks the back of your wrist. Oh yeah. If you That's work a... on there's with good form, that doesn't happen. Um, Uh, but like I said, I'm, I'm not going to do that. There's plenty of other exercises, um, where I don't have to worry about the damage done to the wrist. The 20 pound kettlebell that I got though, the, uh, the clearance from the, the weight to the handle it's it's a little shallow, so it really does kind of just sit on the back of the wrist for some some exercises. I've got some wrist guards for that. Um, the more expensive kettlebells I got from Onnit have a much higher clearance, so they the. Uh, I'm, I'm tempted to buy those, but that's a they're expensive.
0: But you think they're more comfy?
1: They I feel like it makes a difference, like. Um, huh. A big difference in terms of playing as well i um i can go a day or two now i think without uh practicing hard on the dulcimer like if i don't play at my peak speed uh-huh um it used to be even if i was practicing if i don't hit you know in terms of speed uh if i don't kind of go to my limit that limit kind of goes down every day uh that I'm not reaching for it. Um, You're right. And when you get older, I think the times increase. Well, um, I think that by working out with the kettlebells, I, I notice a big difference. Um, I can pick Hmm. up the dulcimer after two days of just playing a bunch of slow stuff and really, uh, and go at a, a confident clip with, without feeling like it's, you know, unclean or jagged, I feel like I have a lot more control.
0: Now, just out of respect for Dan, he would be challenging your critical thinking on this topic. However, I'm just going to roll with it because I presume you understand. I understand that you understand. Uh, You know what I'm saying? You
1: presume correctly. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm not going to try to school you on that. Um, although since dan's not here i will speak up for dan and, and say no that, please uh, do that's the fair thing do." <laughs> i will speak up for dan and say that um that our psychic skills are not totally up to par and uh when mm-hmm. it comes to guessing someone's reaction we're only basing that on patterns and patterns can mislead us at times okay you, just lost, me. you just lost Pattern speaking mammals pattern seeking mammals yeah it's we funny are. because I sometimes I know when I'm I'm saying something, it just in terms of observation, and I know that there's uh, it's very open uh, to skepticism, and I think I think I know ahead of time that Dan is going to go there, and it surprises me when he doesn't, and I think it's just because he understands. <laughs> I think he just knows now. He probably doesn't have to say that. Right, and that's yeah. nice.
0: So yeah. it's kind of like when you're eating peppermint uh, lifesavers, and every once in a while, one of them is almost powdery. It's such a sweet thing.
1: I I had a really strong feeling you were going to go to a non sequitur that I would not quite understand, and I was right. <laughs> I think that's awesome. I think there is something about that. I think because <laughs> of kettlebells, I've been really good at guessing what people are going to say.
0: Okay, well, speaking of non sequiturs, yeah. here's, here's the thing about the ukulele, okay? All right. Um, Let me tell you my two favorite performers on the ukulele. Yeah? No, I'm going to say three favorite. So I think his name's Lyle Ritz. Is that his name? Um, I think his name's Lyle Ritz. I'm not, I ought to look that up. But this guy, apparently, you know, I'm not real well-versed in these names. Lyle Ritz, uh, American jazz ukulele musician. That's right. Hmm. And um, he was born 1930. But this guy does all your classic jazz moves. Cool. You know. So one could even argue, well, couldn't he do that on a guitar? Well, sure, but he chose to do it on a a ukulele. It is a different
1: texture. And and so I I think that the... Can't you do that on a guitar? I I hate that argument as it applies to dulcimer as much as it applies to any other instrument.
0: Yeah, keep it to yourself, people. We've heard it easily 10,000 times. We've had enough, you know. (laughs) I'm rebellious today. So Lyle Ritz even wrote me back. Really? I mean, now this was a number of years ago, but, you know, I wrote and asked him some questions. And I think I asked him about chord voicings. Because I was trying to develop voicings for the dulcimer. It may have been back when I was doing those uh, rootless voicings on the chromatic. Oh, yeah. But I like Jake. Mm-hmm. I, I love... I like Jake. Mm-hmm. Now, that, sometimes I'm afraid somebody's going to accuse me of just being mainstream. But I actually think Jake has the energy that I respect in a musician. The roar of a lion. I really like what he's doing. Yeah. Now... If I listen to his albums, I'm not so crazy about that. But when Mm -hmm. I see him live, when it's just him and a uke, Mm -hmm. I dig it. Now, one thing he relies heavily upon, however, is a backup style of playing sometimes. Um, Where maybe it sounds like he's backing up somebody, but nobody's singing sometimes. Mm. It'll be just like lots of chords, lots of strumming. Not all the time but i've i've dealt with this with the ukulele it's when i'm trying to figure out how to roar like a lion on a ukulele i've struggled with that hmm. um and then just to wrap this up tiny tim who i used to hate um in the last <laughs> few years i've actually come to really respect what he was doing you know we've all heard tip through the tulips but if you look at the other parts of his career it's more fascinating so I kind of respect him as an artist in
1: general I guess I respect alliteration and (laughs) (laughs) so there you go yeah I'm all for tiptoe through the tulips so there's
0: my list but if I didn't mention your name uh please (laughs) don't take it personally it's not like I'm saying I don't like your music Mm -hmm. I just was sticking with three, you know. Mm. I'm hogging well, the microphone as it is, you know. I got to stick to three
1: sometimes. Let's see. My my three favorite ukulele players. Uh, ukulele. Um, one would be a girl named uh, Lainey Jones. She's from Florida, hmm. but she's done a lot of cool stuff since... Um, I saw her at, like Florida folk festivals when I was when I was doing those, and she was just getting started. She went to Berkeley and she's done a bunch of really cool stuff. Uh, okay, cool. Since then, but I remember uh, in Tallahassee at Mockingbird Cafe, uh, walking down there one night, and she was playing, and um, and I remember her her encore. She just played acoustic it was a really small crowd and she just walked around and she uh played and sang dream a little dream and i oh, remember nice. thinking like this is just nice and and i've every time i hear her play just ukulele and sing i think it's such a cool texture um there's another guy and i'm i'm drawing a blank on his name is i think his last name is king but he uh he did a bunch of classical stuff on um he's dead now but uh he did a bunch of classical stuff like bach on ukulele um before huh. before jake was uh be- before the while my guitar gently weeps video went viral this guy was doing insane stuff and he was not really well known i only knew of him because huh. he was my uh high school buddy's um uh stepdad or something like that he had some relation to him but uh he was doing just amazing stuff oh john king yeah so he passed away huh yeah i believe so
0: i i hate this whole thing where we die
1: there is that yeah i i try not to think about it and just all uh, right so
0: we got (laughs) yeah let's let's avoid it now yeah so we've got laney jones i
1: I try to embrace as many things as i can like ukulele (laughs)
0: So, we got Lainey, Lainey Jones, Jones and John King. John
1: King, I also like um, uh, James Hill. Okay. Um, and I'm about to, I'm about to be a giant hypocrite here, because I know I've talked about this before. It was a big learning uh experience for me when I taught this workshop, and I asked. We were talking about um uh playing styles early on and um and i i I asked you know who are some of your favorite players and um uh and i i got a lot of different names and then i said well what is it about your playing that they that you really like and consistently the answer didn't have to do with their playing it had to do with their teaching ability and or uh, i heard uh uh because his tab is so clear and I remember thinking that's that's not at all. That doesn't have anything to do with the favorite uh why you like but it, them as a player. But, but yet, I understand but yet it does. <laughs> I understand where they're coming from now. Well um I actually I've looked at some of the instructional stuff that James Hill has put out and he's been pretty yeah? pretty prolific with it, and it's really good. He's
0: yeah he's, I'm looking at some of it he's now. doing
1: some kind of outside the box stuff I and mean, some of it's pretty advanced but uh um but he's he's teaching it really well and making it pretty accessible on the uke. you know I kind of like that guy yeah um
0: I've been with him since he had long hair yeah i think D- didn't he used to have long hair um I mean, I've been watching him for years off and on um I actually like a lot of what he does. Uh, I'm probably going to meet him someday, so I want to make. I I probably shouldn't say this, but I want to because I like him enough to go ahead and say it. I want to see this guy. Uh, I'm going to get in trouble for this. This is probably going to end my career. You were just saying how rebellious you are. (laughs) Oh, that's right. Yeah, you're being Mr. Hill. I have respect for you, dude. But I want to see you lose it a little. I want to see you be a little more dangerous on stage. I want to, as an audience member, I want to feel like I'm a little concerned. Like, what's going to happen? What is this? Are we safe? What's going on? I just, I kind of, I want a little more crazy from, you know, now here's the thing. He could say to me, uh, you know, get lost, fool. And he's right. Um, I should just encourage him to be the best him he can be. And he's probably doing that. I just want... That's one thing. When I'm watching him, I just want a little more danger in the music. A little more risk. A little more crazy.
1: Oh, you don't feel like he's on the cusp of falling apart enough.
0: Mm, Yeah. Huh. Now that means he's highly competent, right? I was going to (laughs)
1: say, I think about when I... Uh, watching the Kruger Brothers and, and seeing uh, Jens Kruger playing banjo and playing some of the most amazing stuff I've ever heard on five-string banjo. And not once was I ever concerned he was going to fall apart. <laughs>
0: I guess I don't mean fall apart, but see, I I uh, if Dan was here, he would remind me that I don't know what I'm talking about. But yeah. it just seems like the dude has kind of he kind of knows what's going to happen long before it happens. Is that true or not?
1: Oh, I, I don't know. I'm personally. I'm an idiot.
0: I'm... Mr. Hill, I give you permission to smack me upside the head when you first meet me. Although he'll probably never meet me now. I've totally ruined this. <laughs> but but why did I make a big deal about this? Because it's Rebel Day here on Dulcimer Geek Podcast. Maybe yet.
1: Just let it you out. You know,
0: I could tell yeah. you 10 things I don't like about my plan, you yeah, know, but I'll. I'll... Ooh. Hey, what, what about this? Because you brought up teaching. Yeah. When I first started, this might be helpful to some people. When I first started, well, first of all, I always liked teaching. Like even in the neighborhood, I would pretend I was the math teacher to the kids. We'd mm-hmm. play school and stuff. But um, when I got to be 21, I guess, and I went to some of my first festivals, I would regularly talk with people like in between class or at a meal. And I would say, please tell me some things you love about workshops and some things you hate about workshops. And don't mention names. Huh. And I was real clear about that. I don't want to have a clue who you're talking about. Um, but my goal was a little research, right? What do these people like? What are they not like? I mean, I had an idea what I wanted to do. But what do they want me to do? And what's funny is, Almost nobody said anything they liked about a workshop. So let's just get that stuff out of the way right now. Mm -hmm. Forget that. (laughs) So let's talk about what people don't like in a workshop. And this might be self-incriminating here, you know. But I just... What's something people in general, without revealing names... I mean, don't even tell me if it's about you. (laughs) Okay what's something people hate? One thing people hate in a workshop.
1: Huh? Well, what did you find out through your research? Oh,
0: is it my, so it's my turn, is it?
1: Well, I mean, you actually did the research.
0: Okay. Well, here's the thing they hate the most. Somebody who talks the whole time. That's the number one thing they hate the most. Hmm. Now, now I feel like I'm always on the verge of being that person. Hmm. Um, there's a fine line there. I mean, my my heart when I go into the workshop is people like to play. So whatever you're going to talk about, let's make sure we're always bringing it back to playing. You know, they don't need to hear 15 new ideas. Give them one idea and then play it out for a while, you know. Yeah. But how, how are you doing with uh, talking?
1: With talking?
0: <laughs> Not on the podcast. Because <laughs> clearly we're both talking, you know.
1: You know what's really funny? I um, I used to. I, I think I was super insecure or just kind of self aware about how much I was talking in in workshops, and yeah. uh, until I sat in on other workshops and and I saw comparatively, at least the ones that I've sat in on, I don't talk a whole lot, uh, in class. Um. Uh, what I what I do struggle with a little bit um is uh figuring out how to uh how my style of teaching in a workshop with people present translates to teaching to a camera for dulcimer school oh that's interesting yeah yeah um because uh so often i i what i try and do is introduce a concept sort of a broad concept and then break it down but along the way i have people loop just these little sections and then slowly add on to that give them a chance to do it on their own then do it as a group um introduce the next thing i'll play it try right it on your own then do it as a group build speed um and with that process i'm not really talking a whole lot then whenever i go to teach in front of a camera i feel like i'm talking so much that my voice gets tired really quick so you just shot dulcimer school and i went in the day after you and that's right i feel like i started the day in listening back to the video you can hear it i'm like so chipper and 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 everything and i'm uh, by the end of the video, though, I feel like my voice has dropped a little bit. Mine did like... it
0: too, dude. <laughs> Were you doing
1: Christmas music? No, I wasn't. I, I, that was okay. my intention, but I uh, I spent some time doing other stuff. i there's one video series about adding to the collection of licks, and I just introduced um, uh, the instead of adding more licks, I just taught some of the scale shapes that i'm working out of and how i practice them um and uh and then i did video for uh this dulcimer players news article that i did that's just like a a sort of a quick demonstration of six different ways of using the drone but it was still six ways of using the drone so seven videos total with just that lesson and it and it took a little while i was hoping to get to christmas music and get to uh uh i want to teach some of the scottish lute music on there and some of the variations um that i've been coming up with but that'll happen next time well
0: this talking business there's some of you who are listening to this who teach you're talking too much you're more interested in yourself than your students are. Whoa, now, whoa, whoa, before whoa. You, No,
1: no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I don't and think you can you say get, that. I don't think you, I, don't, I. I just said it. Just said case, it. Uh, yeah, you have the right to say it. You and, and, you and one, have the ability. The, the number but, one
0: reason. But I have the right to say it is because <laughs> I also am guilty of the same sin sometimes. Is
1: it? Is it possible though that it's just it's kind of like the performance thing? It's if you don't do it a lot, um, you can get on stage and you time just doesn't exist and so you go right. long. We've talked no, about no, no, that no. one here before. I'm not blaming them but it, as far as teaching goes, it might not be that they're just obsessed with themselves. It might be that they're just nervous and they okay, just you're keep right talking. About that. And sometimes I don't know how to wrap up an idea, and so I restate the same thing several times, looking for a nice conclusive okay. way to yeah yeah. yeah. To sh- I've been there just to shut up and
0: and let people play. I know what it's like. So when you get a little uneasy, you become more interested in yeah. And survival, whatever. But the the point is not to criticize. It's something... (laughs) Like, listen, I I work on this all the time after every workshop, after every hour of every workshop. During the workshop, I'm asking myself, am I running my gums too much? And I always hear David Schnaufer in my ear saying, people want to play. That's what they're here to do. Mm -hmm. Now, sure, 2% of the people or you get hyper-focused on technique along with us. We love that. Mm -hmm. But I'm not bringing this up to to criticize or hurt anybody's feelings. I want you to do better. Mm -hmm. I want you to have better workshops. if, If you want to pursue this dulcimer teaching thing, I want to encourage you, think about this. How can you do a little less talking? And a little more plan. And and here's an example, dude. If you show a class one idea and then you demo it and you go into the next idea without letting them try it out, you just failed.
1: Yeah, I agree.
0: Here's another example. If you bring up an idea, you demo it, you try it out with them, but you do it too briefly. Because sometimes, you know, when we've taught a class a hundred times... We forget that the class really could use a full two minutes of playing through that idea instead mm-hmm. of 15 seconds or whatever. So out of love for my fellow colleagues, please just think about talking less. I'm telling you, it was the number one reason people didn't like workshops. And to this day, yeah. when somebody privately tells me what they didn't like about some workshop you know, with another instructor, it's talking. And yeah. sometimes I'm that instructor.
1: Well, I have heard, um, uh, and uh, yeah, we're, we're definitely not naming names, but just to, uh, just um, say it about me. Okay. Okay. Go, going back to what you said about, uh, you're, you're to, uh, you're more obsessed with yourself or you care more about yourself than about uh, that
0: was just me talking. I don't, I didn't, you know,
1: I have, I'm thinking back to, uh, what others have volunteered about workshops that they've set in on that they were dissatisfied with. And that was one of the stories I heard was, a uh, a, a few times about instructors that have given their biography, uh, for most of the class.
0: Or how about an and, instructor that explains why their approach is better? They're not just yeah. giving you an approach. Mm-hmm. They're going out of their way to tell you that their approach is better and they go out of their way to tell you about other players whose approach they don't agree with. I think that's kind of, that's number one more than anything going to turn your students off a little yeah. bit. I yeah. don't, I don't sit there and say things about you that I don't like. I yeah. say things about you. I like, that's good. Um, now if I didn't like you, I wouldn't talk about you.
1: Yeah. I get, that actually made me a little bit nervous at the uh when I was doing the week-long class uh where every day we broke down a different style and it was like a week long for me it felt like a week-long presentation on uh why no style is the end-all uh, be-all um
0: that's like bruce lee the style of no style or whatever
1: yeah and then it was mostly me telling them that if I'm playing a lot of this music that the technique that I lean on most heavily is not necessarily the best for it but uh, the
0: technique you lean most heavily what
1: yeah, the technique that i lean that I lean on most heavily is not necessarily best suited for um uh for really specific. Uh, styles of music if that's where you spend your t- most of your time
0: how about this another thing people hate about workshops. this is stuff i deal with regarding yeah. myself all the time i mean yeah. if hey if you don't want to hear this Mr. or Mrs. Instructor, maybe you don't care. See how I talk too loosely? I'm not really being responsible with my words. That's okay. It's it's rebellion day. So this was the second most thing I heard a lot. And yes, I did take notes for quite a number of months and years, really. Uh, One thing they really don't like is when instructors play the whole time. Yeah. Um, now, this is something like in the bluegrass world, you might see a lot of that. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> um, but the dulcimer people, have, they have brought their tools. They do this on a regular basis, and they want to play. Again, they want to play. So it's important, though. So there's a lot of times I'll think of this, and I'll think, yeah, but they need to hear what I'm talking about. But I just always make sure I'm careful. I don't overdo that. I'm not there to just do like a three-song performance at the beginning of the workshop. So,
1: I remember when I uh, when I first started teaching, and you told me something like, "So, a good bluegrass guitar workshop is Tony Rice talking about his mom, but this ain't like that." <laughs> That's. Did I say that? Yeah, Are you, you did. That it really or... stuck with me. So I'm like, I'm not going to talk about my mom. Again, I
0: do this. <laughs> you know, This is not. But let's just say you're listening. You want to be a better teacher. You're wondering why you're not getting more students. Um, at least think about this stuff. Now, I break these rules on purpose sometimes because I have to balance what the people want. And there's different kinds of people. And I got to balance that with what I think. I believe is important to convey. So I'm not just here to please people, but it is, you might as well understand what most people hate about workshops. What's number three. Hmm. Um, People don't like it in a workshop when you're excessively controlling, domineering, you are easily offended and you make little snide comments. They don't like that. They don't like to be... Yeah, they don't like to be micromanaged. They don't like to be treated like children. And I've heard this.
1: Huh. That actually now, happens?
0: Yes. Huh. Now, it may happen on a subtle level. But I would argue that this might be the type of teacher who's brilliant, maybe, but lacks social intelligence. And right. again, I've been trying to learn how to be socially intelligent um, ever since I got beat up in the fifth grade. You know what I'm right. saying?
1: I will be honest, social intelligence is not one of the skills that I want to work on in 2018.
0: I want it's to just, get better at it. Other
1: stuff. I've, yeah. Yeah,
0: but I want to get better. Like I, and I'm not talking about social media. I'm talking about yeah. like getting along with my kids. Like my kids don't always want to get together every week. Yeah. And so I told him last night, um, I understand what it's like to be a teenager and, I just want to focus on when you guys do want to do something, I want to make the best of it. I don't want you thinking dad's upset. Dad's got his feelings hurt. Like I'm going out of my way to develop a little bit of my social intelligence with these kids. I don't want mm-hmm. to be passive aggressive with them. I don't want to bring a bunch of guilt.
1: That's cool. And,
0: and so I just think, and this is common like um, in, in the world of mathematics and 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 developers and inventors and engineers some of these people that really come up with the really coolest ideas lack some social skills and they're actually there's groups where they try to help each other get better with this stuff hmm. and I'm saying that if you've been a teacher and you've struggled with being kind to people you can make some progress with that hmm. and if you've wondered why maybe you get rejected a little bit maybe you're just Maybe you need to lighten up, loosen up. I don't know. Hmm. Do you think
1: I'm making all this up? No, no. I totally believe... I absolutely believe you.
0: Um. I mean, do you ever say anything where you realize a second later, I was... I got my feelings hurt. I got a little bit impatient. I got a little angry. And I probably shouldn't have said that. You know, like at a vending um, table or whatever.
1: At a vending table. Um. I don't know. Um... Now I'm, now I'm getting super insecure um
0: oh I wasn't talking about you by the way okay that's <laughs> I, I'm just wondering
1: because I don't recognize it that I'm probably super guilty of it <laughs> um, I don't know well
0: see that's a good practice to ask yourself
1: do I have a problem with that you uh, know I mean I don't think that I I don't think I'm easily offended um But I don't
0: think I hope I'm not. I hope I'm not. I don't try not to be. Um, But, you know, if if it was a problem I had, it's you don't have, you know, everybody's got problems. Yeah,
1: I I don't even to be honest, I don't even like the word I I, I, I hate hearing. You don't like
0: the word social.
1: No, it's just the word offended. Um, Uh, uh, (laughs) Oh, but but I do. I, I will go into some passionate discussions, not not feeling offended or or with the need to defend my point of view but just that it's a fun discussion about music um and yeah i hope i haven't come off like that before
0: i haven't heard anything about you are you ready for number are you ready for number four
1: okay yeah because i know this isn't about me but being a human being uh that (laughs) i'm i'm totally wondering if any of these are about me
0: they're all about me, okay. Number four, number four. Mm-hmm. here's something that people um, they get tired of. Now remember we're not I'm not criticizing I'm
1: not trying to hurt anybody's feelings. Don't be easily offended here. Th- this sort of reminds me of like a Ricky Gervais thing where he's like super he's just being totally offensive to people and he's like, I'm not having a go. I'm not having
0: that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No. People hate it when we don't teach to the advertised level. Now, yeah. some of those people might actually have a skewed perspective of what the level what is supposed to be and what it's actually going on, but let's mm-hmm. not deal with that. Let's deal with people who do know what's going on. Mm-hmm. And it's an advertised beginner class, but because two-thirds of the people that showed up are intermediate. And and I don't blame you, dude. I deal with this every time this happens. But if two thirds of them are intermediate and it's a beginner class, the tendency is you don't want a, the intermediate people to not like you, mm. you know? So you so what I do at the beginning of a class that's got that's a beginner class, but there's a bunch of intermediates in there, I say, number one, this is a beginner class. I have to teach to that level. If you are better than a beginner. You are welcome in here, but you need to know that I'm not catering to you. You know. Or somebody says you sp- they're teaching an advanced class, but no, only one advanced level player shows up. Hmm. And the rest of them are intermediate. Um, I- the truth is, I can't just teach to that one person. But I've developed techniques over the years that allow me to constantly give that advanced person the next level on every little thing we talk about.
1: That's good. But yeah.
0: people don't like that. I mean, people don't like it when we're not teaching to the advertised level.
1: So when you started teaching, um, like it was years before I got asked to teach in an absolute beginner class, I was teaching mostly advanced and intermediate. Uh, right classes before then, um, was it like that for you, or did you get to start teaching beginners early on?
0: Early on, the advice for me was to consider that the largest classes are beginner slash intermediate, mm-hmm. and um, so it was. I was encouraged to not shy away mm-hmm. fr- from beginners. An intermediate, um, but I guess the reason I was encouraged to go do more beginner intermediate is because yes, I was often doing advanced stuff. I see. I remember that, and I yeah. remember thinking, like, I don't, I love advanced, but I, I, I yes, I've gone through years of focusing on how can I be a better beginner teacher, absolutely. But initially, you know, it was a lot of advanced stuff.
1: I kind of, sh- yeah, I um we've both done camps where we're more or less in, incentivized uh to fill up classes um and right. if the camp does well you might you might get a little bonus at the end right and uh, and i think that that is a nice gesture i i do have a problem with it though um that if you're really just after that bonus you're gonna go for novice intermediate because those are the biggest classes and i hear frustration from advanced players that the advanced classes aren't advanced enough uh for them there are a lot of classes labeled advanced that uh where some of the students in there are just as good if not even a level above the person teaching it that's right and the advanced classes tend to be tend to be the smallest and lately i've been i've been trying to really passionately lobby for advanced classes knowing that they won't be the biggest classes but it's a group worth nurturing i think
0: well for you and me we don't have to lobby i mean we're if we're at a festival, they're probably going to have us do at least one advanced workshop out of the four or five or whatever. Yeah, right. That's mostly
1: what I've what mostly. I've been trying to do. Yeah. The real
0: problem with advanced is that you've got. Let's take this. Here's an example: somebody who's excellent at playing by ear but cannot read at all. Mm-hmm. They're very musical. They're very expressive. They Mm -hmm. only finger pick. They can't strum at all. But when they play, you see an expressive musical person who's become a very good finger picker. They can't read music and they can't strum. And I mean, that's the thing that happens in the advanced world is you get people who've developed Certain skills and hardly any development on others,
1: which is and why, so that's why yeah. it gets
0: challenging to teach a group of advanced people.
1: I think for the sake of the development of the dulcimer, I think that probably needs to evolve. Um, Does it
0: need to? No, it you doesn't. Don't mean Morally,
1: no. I said for the sake of the development. No, it doesn't need to. Not from a there's no evolutionary imperative, and no <laughs> no moral reason why it why it has to, but um but i i think if you look at the course of any other instrument um and not that the dulcimer needs to be that it can stay exactly as it is and that's totally fine um, but <laughs> uh, but when you talk about progression and individual players progressing in their skills um if you go to swananoa or if you go to any of these multi-instrument camps um or guitar week, uh, you're not going to find just advanced guitar, um, or advanced. It's going to be advanced, advanced Piedmont style guitar. Yeah, you're. Yeah, exactly. And I think we've we've had this conversation before. I don't think we've we've landed anywhere except you've expressed uh, skepticism. But I think that there's um, so much about the physical relationship that you have to the instrument that's going to be uh varied um based on the style that you play if that's exclusive if that's what you really want to go down um i think there's a benefit if you're a traditional player i think there are some benefits to playing with the dulcimer flat um some physical benefits if you're if you like flat picking Noter style
0: some... in particular man
1: Yeah, even if you're using your fingers, I think playing flat, it's easier to use your thumb than it is tilted. Depending on how drastic of a tilt you have. A mild tilt, I think you can still get away with
0: using... The the hardest thing about a tilt with a thumb is using that thumb on the bass string.
1: Yeah. Um, But I think even in terms of how you orient your hand to the instrument... um, if you're I i know this is this is really tough to describe over a podcast just just over audio and not video but um but if you're using a lot of pinky uh pinky ring metal index for your fretting hand uh you can you can absolutely introduce your thumb into the mix depending on the size and shape of your hand and your thumb. Chances are, when you do bring your thumb into the mix, you're going to have to uh, tilt your hand a little bit. Um, I
0: use it half, one percent of the time. Mm-hmm. I'm thankful to have that thumb come in there. Right. Absolutely. But
1: reorienting your hand to use your thumb takes a bit of time, and you got to do like- that
0: little thing with yeah the wrist.
1: it takes it takes some energy and i think that thumb is pretty valuable if you're playing mostly on just one string because it gives you a really nice reach uh without having to slide or anything um it's a it's a pretty useful digit in that case and so i think it's a more uh what would it be employable digit flat on your lap than it is tilted
0: the biggest problem I have with flat is the, and this is a, we, we've talked about this recently, but yeah. this is something I've really been thinking of actually the last month, probably. I mean, I thought about it when I was doing video for dulcimer school but, you know, when I did said, my last three day.
1: We said we were never going to talk about this ever again. <laughs> OK, so
0: here's but but since we've talked about it, I've been able yeah. to think about it. Um, I really think. You know, there, uh, my favorite thing of tilting up even though I often say it's for the left hand to have full access. Uh I'm really more and more realizing the benefits of tilting the dulcimer up on the right hand. Oh yeah. Some huge benefits. Mm -hmm. I don't want to go into that right now, but the point is um, I, I kind of think some of these advanced people are better off with private lessons or doing stuff online. Or going to a, a an event that's specifically advanced in, in a genre. Like, if you taught an advanced Irish session tunes three-day intensive, mm-hmm. I'd want to go to it. I would want to go to it and learn, you know.
1: Okay.
0: Um, but typically, I'm not going to take an advanced workshop at a
1: festival. You know? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I, I agree with you to a limited extent um, that... I, a lot of these um, a lot of advanced players would be better off with a private lesson. Um, however, I, I kind of don't like that for their sake. Um, there's a real value. I mean it, there's a big difference between running uh, uh, 26.2 miles by yourself and running a marathon with a group of people. Sure And there's also a benefit thing.
0: Like them being at the festival makes the festival way cooler.
1: Oh yeah, definitely. But also, I I think you you get to see different different strengths and skill sets when you're even though you're all working towards a similar goal, might not be exactly the same, but you're all you're getting something similar out of the class anyway. You're going through the same stuff. Um, I think that uh, it's really it's really pretty cool to learn from the person sitting next to you or just watch how they are approaching. Um, well, it's good for, yeah for them to the
0: for the advanced students to watch each other. Mm-hmm. That's really. Yeah. Okay, but all right, I I know I might be beating a dead horse here but number 5, are we on number 5?
1: <laughs> I I don't know. Okay, listen so, to yeah.
0: this. A teacher's trying to teach something and doesn't realize that everybody already got the point. They can do it. Everybody's nailing it. And you just won't let up. You just keep going on and on about it. And conversely, a teacher that doesn't realize when the class isn't getting it and doesn't change their presentation, mm-hmm. doesn't even notice, you know, so that's that's something to work on. And then yeah. let me add into this. Let me jump right to number six. <laughs> I don't want to, I'm not going to give you any more. Um, and I guess this, this could be an example of the previous one, but I remember one time somebody said, you know, sometimes they do a workshop and let's just say it's nothing but hammer-ons and pull-offs the whole time. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, there's there's not any work on strumming. There's not a whole lot of work, you know, on it. it's just like a teacher will pick one thing and hyper-focus on it. Now, for me, that might be improvisation. You know, I'm always trying to teach my students how to play with variety, how to generate an arrangement on the spot, how to practice so that you can do that. Mm-hmm. But there's some people out there, they don't want to do hammer-ons and pull-offs. They don't want to improvise like I do. Yeah. So, um...
1: I mean, in that case, I would just, uh, depending on what the workshop description said, I mean, if it's if it was misleading in any way, that you would be doing something more than just working on hammer-ons and pull-offs, then, uh then yeah, you've, you've got the right to be upset. Um, well, you have the right to be upset no matter what. But um, I think it's a little more reasonable to be upset if the workshop description was something other than that. However, if there, if the workshop description says, we're going to work on hammer-ons and pull-offs the, the whole, whole time, time. Right. You're right. It's, that's right. it's probably in, in your best interest. If that's not your thing, uh, probably choose something else. But see, there's a tendency
0: for some festival directors, maybe not so much now, I don't know, to like, let's say that you say, I want to teach an hour long workshop on hand and pull offs. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's what you submit to the festival. And then when the catalog finally comes out, it says like, We'll work on, on hammer-ons and pull-offs as well as many other techniques like strumming oh, and yeah. taking yeah. things to the next level.
1: Where right? the description got edited.
0: We're I always taking things to that. the next yeah. level. Yeah. So what happens is you were prepared to do only hammer-ons and pull-offs. You know, mm-hmm. But these This again, festival person, don't be offended. I get it. You got a hard job. Mm-hmm. There's, you got plenty of mercy and grace for me on this. Yeah. But um I think the main thing is when somebody says to me like some teachers are they they don't even discuss these things mm-hmm. but sometimes somebody'll say to me do you have any tips on teaching mm-hmm. and I would say whatever you're going to teach be clear up front about what that is uh-huh. know what you're talking about yeah the students want to play they don't want to hear you talk the whole time they don't want to hear your stories the whole time mm-hmm they want to learn how to be better and and the truth is 80% of them you can say this is good or bad but 80% of them want to have fun mm-hmm. and learn a new song yeah that's the two biggest things they want to do and i'm i'm not saying everybody's like that but most of them want to have fun mm-hmm. they want to like you and they want to have a new song in their life yeah.
1: Yeah, I am I I have met a lot of people who are who are saying um, we have so much tab, we really don't want another song, we wanna learn how to play it better. And that might right. that might be because that's uh I'm hearing from the choir, basically. Cause See that's, that's you mostly, and me. Yeah, that's mostly what where we're spending our time. Um, with regard to That's uh, true. the workshop editing, I I loved this from a from a camp uh, that we both teach at. <laughs> um, if you're uh, the
0: festival director of this camp, we are not throwing you under the bus right
1: now. No, I'm actually giving praise right now. I, I think go. this there is great because we just got a note saying uh, that uh, this director needs our workshop descriptions. And asked specifically to keep it to just a line or two and that if it's not within that that it will be edited that should have to cut it down and i love knowing that going into it
0: because then you can just yeah get to the point
1: like sometimes yeah so that it's not a surprise uh, if it, it i hate seeing my workshops uh descriptions edited um especially if it's a surprise to me or the level has been changed without me knowing or some extra words have been thrown in or taken out or it's been summarized in a really poor way uh that's just that's a bummer um for obvious reasons you show up prepared to teach a specific thing or to a specific level and the description doesn't really represent what you had ready to go, ready to share, um, and might represent something that you're not even really that knowledgeable about. And that uh, is in contrast to all of the, the good advice that you were giving, Steve. Know what you're talking about. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, just just knowing ahead of time, if you can make the workshop description fit into this much space, it will not be touched. I love that. If you're a festival director.
0: <laughs> you know, we hear a lot from students. They'll say, um, how do you know what level you are?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, and again, that depends. Are we talking about finger picking? Are we talking about bluegrass? Are we talking about Irish? Are we talking about slow music, fast music? Um, mm-hmm. But here, I want to just answer this by saying I my instrument of um, focus has been drums up until recently. But now I'm on my fiddle kick, which I oh. do every few years. But uh, let me describe if I was to take a workshop, how would I know what my level is? Um, It depends on the style. If it's a style I know nothing about, I'm a beginner. But if it's a style I know nothing about and I think I can get away with an intermediate class, you know, it's kind of like or sometimes I took like I took an advanced fiddle class once when I didn't even know how to play fiddle. Mm hmm. But but I, I told the teacher, hey, I went over my head, but I'm going to cooperate all week. You won't hear any complaining out of me. You know, and it was yeah. fine. Um, do I go intermediate? Do I go advanced? Do I go beginner? It's too complicated to have a blanket statement about it. It depends yeah. on the, the teacher, the class, and me, you know? Right. Yeah. I'm with you. So I, I just thought I'd say that. So... Have I been rebellious enough today? I,
1: I think you should drop an F-bomb. Just go for it.
0: All right. How about fortitude? Ooh, That's something nice. we could use a little
1: more of. Fortitude. Yeah. Like intestinal fortitude.
0: <laughs> or um, what's... Uh, I don't know. That's about all the F-words I got. How about... um, um, Francois? frappuccino maybe yeah maybe Mm -hmm. so so, um i purposely parted my rebelliousness here is i wanted to get past the hour and 10 minute mark so
1: yeah i i I had a feeling you know last time we talked just uh last time the podcast was just the two of us we went for two hours straight i've got to get to work though (laughs) yeah i gotta get off of here and get mom up to the doctor oh yeah so you're off to but, uh a, you're off to a three day intensive right, I yeah, guess. Columbus, Ohio, oh, cool. I'll tell them all, give them all my love, I will, yeah dude, I got like
0: i don't know if it's fifteen people that's pretty good up there,
1: yeah, that's great, so uh I'm looking forward to it. What's your next thing? um uh, i'm going ukulele. down to yeah i'm going down to sarasota exit me and dan and we've got some uh some christmas gigs uh down in sarasota december well, 13th the... 15th something
0: you know i like to spend one on one time with people like mm-hmm. i love both of my kids at the same time but it's so great to be with them one at a time yeah a little bit, you know, Elijah was doing some homework yesterday and then I was with Alan working on, uh, she wanted to build a guillotine, like a little mop. She's been studying the French revolution, you know, so oh, wow. <laughs> we, but, but the thing is, I like one on one time and it's been good just talking to you, nothing against Dan. I'm not trying to rebel against Dan, but I'm in a general rebellious attitude today. Uh, the dulcimer world does not need to be safe. I want to bring a little risk and danger to it. And I want to thank you for allowing me to exercise a little bit of danger here today on the podcast.
1: I wasn't worried at all. I did not feel unsafe. I want to see a little more danger from you.
0: I want to see a little more danger from you. Okay. (laughs) Now we're both going to be paranoid the whole time.
1: Wait, do you mean like on stage or, or in the class? Yeah,
0: don't start wearing a wingsuit. You know what I'm saying? I think you're too old to enter the Navy SEALs at this point. I could be wrong.
1: I don't think I'm too old for a wingsuit, though.
0: Okay, I'll back you on it, but um, (laughs) that's a lot of danger. Wait, do you
1: mean like on stage? Because I could totally wear a wingsuit on stage.
0: Metaphorically, let's put the wingsuit on on stage. Absolutely. Okay,
1: metaphorically.
0: Uh, ladies and gentlemen, you've been listening to the Dulcimer Geek Podcast, brought to you by DulcimerSchool.com and Dulcimer Player News Magazine, the rag that really hits. We'll see you next week, <laughs> folks. Adios. 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 Can you say goodbye in French? Uh,
1: uh, no.
0: <laughs> no. 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 Well, Okay is this the end did we end it
1: i think we did you know for music since you're being rebellious i think that you should uh you have a distortion but yeah you you can just just plug in the dulcimer and do something really distorted for the intro and the outro
0: that's a good idea yeah or what's right, what is
1: the allowable amount of time to use like a uh, a piece on youtube that's copyrighted so like
0: there is none
1: oh i thought oh, okay
0: I don't know. I could be wrong. Listen, that's a good idea. So I'm going to go do that right now.